to do stand-up here and people just quiet down. It's so great. Are you ready, Asa? Yeah, okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Vancouver Art Gallery. My name's Allison Collins, and I'm the coordinator of um, adult public programs here at the gallery. Tonight, we're very pleased to welcome a group of comic makers to the gallery for a panel discussion. Uh, we're gathered here on the occasion of the exhibition downstairs of the work of Art Spiegelman, Comics, a retrospective of comics, graphics, and scraps. Tonight, we'll hear a little bit about each of the work of each of our panelists, and then we'll have a general discussion about the ins and outs of independent comic scene. First, I just want to extend a very warm welcome to our host for the evening, Robin McConnell. Robin is the host of Ink Studs, a weekly radio program at CITR radio station, which is at the University of British Columbia. Uh, it's been on for seven and a half years, he tells me, which is something of a feat, I think, with over 500 interviews. Pretty amazing. Um, so each week, Ink Stud focuses on underground, underground and indie comics, and he drums up a sort of interview or a, a discussion with a different creator to get their unique perspective on comics and discuss their up-and-coming works. His show has featured a range of folks from legends of alternative comics world like Art Spiegelman, Chris Ware, Chester Brown, or Kim Deitch, to those who are steadily making their names and on the up and up in the, in the comics community like our panelists tonight. What ties them all together, of course, is that they have something new and interesting to share with you, the reading public. Tonight, Robin is joined by Vancouver-based artists Brandon Graham and Emily Carroll, and by Jen Vaughn from Seattle. You can tell these guys are colorful folks by the way they describe themselves in their bios, which I will read to you now. <laughs> uh, first, we have Brandon. Brandon was born in December of 1976, the grandson of a pinup artist, Bill Randall. He grew up in Seattle around a lot of graffiti and comics. Some of his books are King City, Escalator, and Universe So Big. He lives in Vancouver, BC with his lady, Marian Churchland, where he writes and sometimes draws the image series Prophet. He's also been working on his new book, Multiple Warheads, and the sketchbook collection entitled Walrus. Beside Brandon, we have Emily Carroll. Emily is an artist and a writer from London, Ontario, who now lives in Vancouver, BC with her wife, Kate. Her horror and fairy tale inspired webcomics have won a Canadian Comics Award, the Joe Schuster Award, for the past two years, and her print work has appeared in numerous anthologies, including the Anthology Project Volume 2, Creepy Number 9, and Explorer, The Mystery Boxes. Her first book, a collection of new short stories, is due out in 2014. And finally, we have Jen Vaughn. Jen is a cartoonist, journalist, designer, and lover of all comics. She's a graduate of the Center for Cartoon Studies, which is nestled in a village called White River Junction in Vermont. But now that she is in Seattle, she keeps herself busily employed as the marketing unicorn for Fantagraphics, <laughs> where she encourages people to read comics and then pass them on to their friends and family, especially the Eros ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, thank you very much for coming, and I'm, I'm pleased to turn it over to Robin, and uh, welcome our panelists tonight.
All right. Uh, thanks to uh, Allison and Bruce Grenville for inviting me to do this. I'm really excited to kind of bring the ink studs here and do a little bit of what we do every week on the radio. Um, Brandon, behave. Um, a little bit of what we do in the radio, but kind of bring it into more public forum. Normally I do one-on-one -on -one interviews, occasionally we do roundtables. So for this, I thought of bringing some folks who I'm excited about, who make really fascinating work, um, and luckily I'm friends with, so they're easy to talk into doing this with me. Um, so thank you guys for coming up here and joining me. So the, what we're gonna do is each of them are gonna talk a little bit about their work, because I'm not sure if everyone will be familiar with them, and then we're gonna talk some comics talk and talk about some particular artists I've picked out for us to kind of go over, and then we'll kind of open to questions. So we're gonna start with Brandon. Okay, hello, I'm Brandon. I have no idea how this thing works. That was All right. This is my uh, comic book, King City, which is the kind of major finished thing that I've, that I've managed to do. It's, uh, it's about a, uh, this, this character with the blonde hair in the middle here is a, uh, he's a cat master. So he uses a cat as a, as a tool or weapon. And, and something that I like to do a lot in my work is, is almost um, uh, use science fiction and kind of comic book tropes as, as things to kind of mask doing doing autobiographical work or things, which basically is me doing, I call it art therapy always, kind of talking about my 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 feelings and, and kind of things going on in my life while you know being able to draw robots and, and monsters and things. Hmm? Even at the audience. Oh. <laughs> Here. Odd. You want to just, can you just use the button? No. So Brian's got another panel coming up, as you can, <laughs> as you'll know. He's Hopefully. made other comics. He is a comic No, that's, that's the beginning of the end for me. <laughs> Let's see if, no, it's not. Are we done here? <laughs> <laughs> so something I like about Brandon's book, <laughs> King City, um, aside from all the cats, uh, he's a very punny guy, which you wouldn't, maybe no looking at him. So he slips it in. I don't, I don't know what it, that meant, sorry. The, the abuse that I take from marketing unicorns. Yeah. <laughs> Specialized in Eros comics. Um, so something I like to do a lot in my work is kind of meander with, within it and, and show, uh, I, I like to kind of go off the beaten path and kind of show different things within the world. And this is kind of an example of that where the main character is walking around a neighborhood, and I have little arrows that point to different characters. And, and here, he, in the middle panel, he's looking at a building, and it shows different all the different things that are going on in the building. It's just kind of something I think about, kind of walking around the city and, and seeing things, and 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 how much stuff you can kind of show. It, it's nice when I, I like not having a not not having any editors or anyone to tell me what to do, so I can kind of just just draw whatever I feel. Something when I was when I was growing up, I would always watch science fiction movies, and and you know there'd be like a, a mad scientist lab, and in the background there'd be a bookshelf of all their Necronomicons and whatnot, and I always wanted to see what was on the bookshelf. And so in in creating something in comics, I really enjoy that aspect of it of being able to 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 draw the bookshelf and and draw the things on the bookshelf, and it's kind of nice to to do that. This is, and and I like playing around with different things that anything visual you can kind of throw into comics. There's a thing in King City I did that was a, uh, 
it's three characters talking and they all split up. So this is a board game that you can actually play where you can follow each character through the thing. And I've never actually played it myself, but I think it works. <laughs> and, uh, and this is the thing where kind of a lot of the focus of King City is how there's all these big events going on, but that's not where the characters' lives are. So this is this giant Cthulhu monster attacking the city and all these other things going on where their lives don't really concern it. There's like these lizard guys over here dragging someone into a, into a sewer main and, and just kind of noticing it. And, uh, and I really enjoy doing giant things like this because I can, like this is a strip club over here and then this is a place that robots fix, fix Jeeps and I can kind of just have fun, you know, making up things as I go along. And this is that same kind of thing where I took one of the characters and just showed all of the things in her, in her bedroom. And there, there's lots of horrible jokes in the, I do a lot of puns, so, uh, this has like a, a book about a um, saucy midget memoirs called Lolita. And uh, <laughs> there's, there's a book with plaid on the cover called Plaid and Prejudice. It's all, it's all horrible. <laughs> what else? She's got, oh, she's got f um, boxing gloves that you put on your feet. It's called Soxy Boxing. And she's got a nautical bra that's a C cup. <laughs> and this is... Um, something I did on my birthday a couple years ago, where it's just me doing, I do a lot of autograph, autobiographical comics that don't really uh, pertain that much to my own life. And this is me in my bathtub. Um, so many horrible jokes in this one. I, I'm reading a book called, um, it, it's, it's a baseball amputee book. And it's a, I say, uh, but how can one man hope to reunite an umpire? And, uh, and then it's me yelling for black bars to my, to my wife. And, and she's like, use a towel. And I was like, I don't want to. And then I swear. And there's a black bar there. And so it's me sliding around. And then I make a giant penis out of black bars in the end. Some classy. Um, and this is another kind of example of me doing like thinly veiled autobiographical stuff and, and making it science fiction and comic books. I was kind of thinking about my mortality. And this is a story. And kind of how, your, how my work pertains to my mortality. And, and something cool about comics or doing any kind of art is that you get this, this you can leave kind of a chunk of your personality or how you want to be represented behind. And so this is a story about a man who dies and his, he lost his voice years ago is another bad pun. And um, his voice returns after he dies to kind of investigate where his life has gone. And so this was fun to do. And this is uh, my comic, Multiple Warheads, which is what I'm working on now. And it's a, um, it's like a, a fantasy Russian comic. I, it's basically me trying to explore I used to do adult comics, and they would let me do whatever I wanted in them as long as I had uh, sex scenes. And um, this one was about a, a werewolf who, it was a guy who became a werewolf because he had a wolf's penis sewn onto him. And it's just this completely ridiculous concept that, that I liked the idea of, so I tried to make it into something reasonable, and it turned into this. But it was kind of me talking about what it's like to be, cause, yeah, it's something that, that bothered me a lot in fiction is the idea that it's always about the beginnings of love and kind of, you know, teenagers in high school finding each other whenever. And I like the idea of kind of showing an ongoing relationship because I'm in a, a long, endless marriage that I enjoy very much. <laughs> and, and this one I got to work in color for the first time. And, um, and so it was really exciting to be able to do different, different storytelling tricks. Like, like at the bottom panel, she has a, uh, a mug that, that tells her what's happened to the water. Like if it's, if it's red, it's got radiation. If it's blue, it's haunted. And, Gold gives you forced immortality and all these things. Um, and, and this is kind of what I was talking about before about the idea of showing what's on a bookshelf or whatever. This is a scene in that where they stay in a hotel and this is the menu for the hotel. 
and uh, just endless bad jokes. There's, um, they're selling this thing called Two Air, and it's, it's human. And, uh, and you can get ends meet, but you have to let them know ahead of time because it's tough to make ends meet. So it's, that's just like 500 of those things. And um, another thing that I like about science fiction is you can come up with things that you think would be good ideas, even if they, they aren't. And this is, um, I end up thinking a lot, way too much about how characters would use the bathroom in, in these weird environments. And this has this, uh, it's like a booklet, uh, a travel booklet of, of toilet paper, but it has tips on it, like how to deal with a snake bite or, you know, what to do when there's low oxygen or something. And, um, and this one, I, all the chapters were, were um, alphabetical. So it says M-N-O-P, and I did the pun where it says P on a M, mountain, because they're way up in the, in the clouds. And this is the comic that, um, that I just write and collaborate with a bunch of my friends on. Uh, it's kind of a scam in comics where if you do much less work and, and write and have other people write it and then draw it, then you get all the credit, <laughs> which is horrible. And I keep apologizing to my friends that draw it. But this is the thing where we took an old superhero comic, and because I am not really a superhero comics guy, I, uh, I just turned it into a science fiction comic. And, and the premise is that if this superhero was just cloned and uses a, as a soldier um, 10,000 years in the future, kind of after humanity is, is gone and these soldiers are still running around, but they're all the same guy, so there's like millions of this one guy kind of dealing with, with himself, and there's internal wars with it and everything. And uh, this is the issue of what I, draw, what I drew. And just lots of big science fiction concepts where, um, like this is the idea of showing, um, showing kind of, you know, when you're dealing with any kind of vast science fiction space, just getting from one place to another and not dying before you get there is a big deal. Um, and so I came up with this idea of using these, these kind of man-made wormholes. And this is a really old one that's covered in, in worms, which is another bad pun. And this is another kind of using pictures in it. So this is a giant profit war of all these same clones fighting these aliens on this on this giant tower, and the, the picture on the side kind of t shows how many, how many uh, clones each like, battalion leader has, and the red ones are all the dead ones. That was, that was fun to put together. And, uh, and this is just another, another page from that. And I, I like a lot in comics how you can use pictures to, in, in place of words a lot of times. So this is me just kind of trying to show the vastness of space and, and this robot character's life. And so in the actual dialogue, he's talking about how his, his life is like, he recognizes all the different stars in the universe and the places he's been and he's seen the places that he was born and where he's fought different wars and where his friends died and everything and there's all these pictures at the bottom that are just little things like that. And hopefully, um, I think a lot about the idea of, of, of readers being either active readers or passive readers. And so if you don't, if you don't sew everything up and make it, make it really uh, digestible and you don't answer every question, hopefully the reader will add some of their own and keep thinking about it past the past the time when they first read it. And now onto Jen's stuff. <laughs> Thank you. What's that? Uh, it, it just works now. It's okay, it just works. Okay. Hi. Okay. Um, uh, I guess I'm going to talk a little about my background. I, um, I made this in, well, I was very lucky um, to have supportive divorced parents who were very guilty. So I um, was able to take art lessons and then, um, but I was just doing like pencil and pastel. So my uh, teaching or my, the painter teacher uh, mentor asked if I wanted to be her painting apprentice. So um, 
I actually became a painter's apprentice when I was in third grade and made, uh, this is one of my, this is like my fourth painting I made. Um, the assignment was tree texture. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, I used, you know, different brushes and to, to demonstrate texture, I believe, I don't know about if you believe so, but I, I kind of made it my own and I think it's a theme that kind of continues to happen. Um, but uh, yeah, so, oh, and so then, you know, I went to college and I did like painting and printmaking and oil painting and dealing with like zinc plates dipped in acid. They're very like labor intensive, like so much so. And um, you don't, like no one ends up with the same product. Um, like, you know, only one person will get to enjoy your giant painting of a Pegasus um, in the afternoon light or during a thunderstorm. But comics seemed a lot more democratic uh, later on in life to me and that everyone received like the same finished product. So. And they started doing comics. And I started out with menstruation comics, which for those uninformed is a once a month thing for women. Um, so uh, I wanted to have an ongoing conversation with my audience about what happens um, when you're young, when you receive your first one, called the menarche, um, and throughout life. <laughs> Did you learn a new word? Sorry. <laughs> um, um, and also, I, was, I guess, partially because I was just being inundated by media, I guess I don't have to watch movies, but all of them seem to be about men uh, growing up, and there weren't enough about women and like what happens to them, um, or if they were, they were considered chick lit or chick movies. So um, I started making these comics to you know, fulfill that need or that want I wanted in the in comics. Um, so yeah, it talks about um, personal products. Um, this one was actually um, the first one was from a menstruation station. Um, and then this one's about a uh, heavy flow, because actually uh, I got tired of using certain products uh, because they were expensive and wasteful and they hurt the environment. So I went on a search to find something green uh, and something that was for me. Um, and uh, this is maybe in the shape of something I use, so use your mind's eye to draw a contour line. Um, but also, it is a Vancouver-based company where I get this thing, so talk to me later, ladies. Um, but it was nice, I, 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 got, I don't know, I, I get, um, in my comics, they're, you know, they're just like um, saddle-stapled minis, a lot of them, but um, they're easy to give away for free to people. Um, it, we call it the, like, the drug deal, like the first one's free, man, and then like, they come back the next year at a show and they like, buy whatever you have that's new. And uh, I made a lot of good friends uh, this way, and I think that's part of the reason why like to draw is like to connect with people. Um, so while I was like in school, I also did, I returned to painting. <laughs> um, I did a bunch of murals at Dartmouth, um, but they're kind of like whitewashed because you know they want what they want. So, but th within them, you know, we'd make interesting scenes. Like this one guy, like, oh, you can't, uh, there's like this kind of sexy curvy lady who's throwing a snowball at this guy and like all the meat spilling out of his sandwich, like. But down below him, a dog's about to eat all that meat. Like, you know, they're like things to make your eye move, um, to create stories within stories. Um, I very much appreciated the, the chance to do that. And I, I did this with some friends, uh, Catherine Roy and Laura Terry, a couple other people. Um, and we, we hired some interns, which was really cool. Um, so if anyone has bare walls. Oh, and here's another one. Um, and actually, uh, it was interesting because I was walking around the Spiegelman exhibit to tie it all back, um, and I didn't realize that that the Guns of September uh, New Yorker cover he did with the children getting off the bus with guns, like how much that influenced some of my 
color choices and paintings. Just I remember like carrying that uh, that one magazine around for a long time. I didn't know it was Spiegelman at the time because I was very young. But uh, um, but I don't do I don't I don't think I do very well with color in comics. So it's kind of like colors for painting. Um, comics are different. But um, so uh, you'll notice in the center of this page. <laughs> it's a unicorn in practically the same pose. I guess he's kicking up a different leg. So, um, yeah, I, w I, I went to the Center for Cartoon Studies, and it was like a great place to learn. This is actually from a, a, a uniporn comic. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, but what? I, no, no, I don't think so. Whatever you're pointing at, I can't see. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah. So. <laughs> Basically making comics about what I want, which is not usually cars or buildings, <laughs> you know, forest scenes, soft animals, um, but you know, still, still real with personalities. Oh yeah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then uh, I made a move to, um, to web comics for like a year and a half because I wanted to have that weekly deadline. Um, I had a web comic called Mermaid Hostel, and it was kind of fun because I would come with you know situations. I Mermaid Hostel is in H-O-S-T-E-L. I had, uh, as Brandon said also, I worked at, like my own autobio in it because I worked as a resident assistant and then a manager at an international hostel for four years in Texas and dealt with crazy stuff. Um, and so this, I was able to kind of like um, play with, you know, the problems that happened there, except, you know, they were mermaids, so they had different sorts of problems, but um, they still ride the bus. It's just a whale you hold on to for dear life. So things like that. Were you able to work unicorns into it? And no, I didn't. <laughs> Should have though. Yeah. Um, but then also I got to like um, teach a little bit. Like there was a character who's a mershark who's hiding because like people are trying to steal their fins for mershark fin soup or shark fin soup. Um, as well as when uh, the Deepwater Horizon spill happened about the same time, so I got to like integrate that like. Um, into like what happens to sea life when there is an oil spill. So I kind of st um, started gravitating more towards like teaching a little bit in my comics, which I guess the menstruation ones were as well, but it, it just feels natural to kind of always like give some facts and information in addition to pure pleasure for your eyes. Um, I'm also a big fan of doing anthologies with people. Um, not necessarily like, this, like the sum total is better than its parts, but it's always fun to like riff off an idea with each other. So um, the one on the top left, I edited with two friends and it was called Lies Grownups Told Me and it's what it sounds like. It's about lies grown-ups told you when you were young. Uh, one of them was about a girl who thought if you were pregnant, you go in the ocean, dolphins would take you and steal your baby. <laughs> <laughs> they would like raise it to be one of their own, but she didn't realize this was a lie until she was 26. Like, <laughs> I feel like you're, you're a willing participant in this at this, that point. Um, was it was when the dolphin returned her baby? <laughs> yeah, exa exactly. Yeah, yeah. She was really surprised. Um, but it, it was fun to do. Um, you know, we, we used that Kickstarter thing, but this is like back in like 2010, so before it became like, you know, annoying to people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, this isn't working, comics about ex-boyfriends, so you know, I'm really comfortable with that and body humor or horror. Um, uh, the bottom left is uh, Wings for Wheels, a tribute to Bruce Springsteen. So that was a lot of fun. Plus uh, my friend Naomi actually designed it so it looks like a, a record. It's got a slipcase and everything. And then most recently I got to do a, a comic for Princeless, which is a great kids series about um, a girl, Adrian, uh, the character up front, um, who uh, 
is not a fair white maiden princess, but you know, she's got seven sisters locked in seven towers. She decides one day she's going to you know, jump on her dragon that's guarding her and go live her life. Reminds me of like a lot of 90s books I used to read, like uh, Patricia Reed, like Calling All Dragons, so a lot of good stuff. Um, but that was fun because you got to work with a writer in a universe but like kind of create some of my own characters. It's coming out next summer. Oh, that's, this is a, just a page from Wings for Wheels. Oh, yeah, that was the other thing. After working like on a color comic for like a year and a half, the mermaid one, like all my blacks disappeared. It was amazing to me, my comics. I was like, there's more texture going on, I guess, but like, I have to remember that black is a color. And it's actually, white's the most important color, and I've used way too much of it here, so, as, as Roy Crane would say. But uh, it was a fun thing to do. Um, this is a comic that I do performances of uh, in Portland. I'm not gonna do any now, but uh, um, unless you wanna hear a body-wenching song. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, and it, it's coming out digitally in a couple months, but it's uh, called Avery Fatbottom, Renaissance Fair Detective. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not genre-based or anything. Um, and uh, yes, I did spend many years in dinner theater. So <laughs> once again, just taking a little bit and then running with it. Um, oh, and there's another page. That's Avery. That's her date. Uh, his name's Greg with two Gs at the end. Why? <laughs> so they can make fun of him later. But um, yeah, in the first couple of issues, you, you find out a bunch of weird stuff about that culture. A lot of the people that work at uh, Mardi Gras are the same people that do Renaissance Fair theaters. So, or I mean, Renaissance Fairs. It's, it's kind of the same troupe. And uh, yeah, there's a reason why people wear tails at those shows, and it's not what you think. <laughs> so, so. I think you shamed Brandon. Yeah. I'm uncomfortable. Oh, and then I guess the, the, the thing I've been working on actually since last year um, that this book is mostly full of in my backpack, it's a collaboration with a writer named Steve Dean, who Fanographics, the company I work for, has published before. Um, and it's a, it's a story about a young woman who, I'm sorry, uh, she uh, does meth. Um, she actually was the daughter of a meth addict and decides to follow in her footsteps. Um, right now it's called unassisted suicide. I don't know if that'll change, but, and then, you know, she becomes a lady of the night to support her habit. So it's a very uplifting tale, which is why I do the Renaissance Fair thing on the side <laughs> to keep me from killing myself. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the, the main character, Ashley, um, with no E in her name, but that's because her mom didn't finish school. I mean, it's a name, it doesn't really matter. So, <laughs> so it's been very interesting though, because, uh, I didn't know anything about meth, whereas in the other case, like with other things, I knew, you know, I'd like done some theater, but this, I was like, what does meth look like? <laughs> la la la, internet. And then everyone's like, you just watch Breaking Bad. So I finally did, and it was, it was helpful, but I kind of feel like that's also Hollywood, so maybe they don't know what meth, well, maybe they do, I don't know. So I, I oh, thank God, okay, thank you. Thanks, Jen. I guess that didn't. Just that uh, squint one. Squint your eyes. Okay, so that was, you should have called. Yeah. Um, hello? Okay. Uh, so this isn't really showing up at all, but I'll just kind of ramble over it for a few seconds. Um, so just a bit of background on me. I started uh, making comics um, almost three years ago, I guess. Um, prior to making this first comic, 
I uh, had done kind of some comic stuff, but it was mostly just like in-joke fandom comics with my friends that no one should look at. Um, anyway, and, and I, I, I come from, um, I used to work in the animation industry and I've always kind of drawn cartoons and um, I've, I used to write short stories and things like that just for myself and for my friends. I never had any aspirations of actually expecting people to look at them, let alone like them, let alone ever make money on them, let alone ever do comics. Anyway, so um, when I first did a comic, uh, it was very much um, kind of a spur of the moment thing. I'd never done them before because I thought that I would do them wrong and be bad at them and there was some essential knowledge that I needed to know before I actually started making comics, which is <laughs> insane. Uh, uh, but at, at a certain point I just decided I was going to take two weeks and make a short comic. Um, in this case it was an adaptation of um, The Hare's Bride, a Grimm's uh, fairy tale. And I was just going to complete a comic and get it done and try out some fun stuff and draw in a way that I never drew before and just finally try it and not care if anybody liked it or not. Um, so this is from, uh, this is the beginning part of a story called The Hare's Bride, which is available, it's available, it's, they're all free online. <laughs> um, you can read it online. I put it up on my live journal because I didn't have a website. Um, anyway, so yeah, it actually got a really uh, good response. And from that response, I started then thinking like, oh, I can actually start doing this. And it kind of um, combines me loving making stories and things, uh, writing stories and also me drawing. So I started doing some short stories over the next couple months. Um, I made this one, uh, this one's maybe like my most popular one, or it is my most popular one. Um, it's uh, called His Face All Red. It's a story I made again in two weeks. I had a thing where I would only make my comics in two weeks, and I still kind of do for the web comics, because I was um, I'm really aware that if I didn't do them quickly enough, I just they'd just spiral out into nothingness or they'd never get finished. Um, so anyway, this one's a, an original story. It's a horror story um, about uh, bad decisions, um, and specifically a brother murdering his other brother and his brother's doppelganger coming back to sort of haunt him. Um, it was very much an ambiguous sort of horror story, um, like more of like a mood piece uh, than a mystery that has a solution or has a monster that can be combated. Um, it's the first... Um, time I really kind of started working on horror stories where um, what appeals to me is not only ambiguity so that you never have resolution at the end, uh, but I never liked explaining any of the scariness. Uh, I never liked um, making anybody win. <laughs> Everybody always loses. Um, not so much, you know, they might defeat whatever the threat is in the story, but it, um, they never defeat their own internal failings and flaws that will haunt them forever. So anyway, so that's what I find fun making. <laughs> um, so speaking of um, that, uh, this, was, this is part of my first uh, mini comic that I made. Uh, it's the first thing I printed. And uh, this is actually just one comic out of seven. And this is actually, a, this is laid out flat, but it's actually a booklet, like a tiny like quarter page booklet um, where each of these panels is its own page. And each booklet, was, all seven booklets were put in an envelope each booklet had to do with a different member of this sad family, and uh, you could read them in any order, uh, but each uh, booklet would inform the other booklets, and depending on what <laughs> order you read them in, it would uh, maybe change your view of certain characters in the story. Um, 
this, I don't know why I did this for my first mini comic, because it meant that uh, myself and my wife Kate had to uh, cut out and staple and fold 700 <laughs> books. Um, but it, I added this because it kind of, uh, it was inspired by my history with like games and uh, RPGs, role-playing games, um, and things like that, where somebody would get really attached to like a single character, um, and then that was like their character that they kind of like rooted for the most. And I thought that by dividing all the stories up, like people would have certain ownership over who they maybe read first or something like that. Um, this was a, a story actually in print. Uh, it's from a book called Spera that I didn't write. Uh, it's, a, um, it was, it's written by uh, Josh Tierney. It's based on a webcomic where Josh would write these adventures of these two princesses, um, one of which is featured primarily here. Um, who go on adventures, and one's like kind of like a bookish, more quiet princess, and one's like a really kind of kick-ass, uh, bitey princess. Um, it's my first time working from a script that somebody else wrote, so that's why I put it up there. And also, it's just me trying out color and, I don't know, really trying to make everything look really nice, because it's not just for myself this time. <laughs> and this is also for another uh, children's um, thing. Even though I, I kind of did these kind of spooky comics, um, I get a lot of work doing uh, kid stuff because um, I have kind of a cartoony style, I guess. So this is for Explore uh, the Mystery Boxes, where um, we were supposed to do kind of eerie or spooky stories for uh, kids. Um, this is, is probably, and this one has to do with a, a wax doll that comes to life and grows bigger and becomes a doppelganger of this little girl. Um, and this is one where the little girl, <laughs> she lives, she's fine. She wins, I guess, at the end of it. <laughs> Which in a way felt like I was sort of being untrue to myself. Like, it ends really happily. Um, and she's fine. But anyway, so. Meanwhile, this is a story I did for uh, Creepy, uh, the Dark Horse, uh, I guess, rebooted the old Creepy series. Um, and they uh, asked me to do a comic for them last year. Uh, and this one I had a, a lot of fun on because um, I, I wanted to work in black and white. And I'd actually, the day they emailed me, the, um, the night before, I had written a new story. Uh, this is from a story called The Red Knife. Um, it's about a, um, a, new, a new wife who becomes obsessed with a, a red kitchen knife that she receives as a, a wedding present and eventually uh, goes mad, I guess, um, as she tries to struggle with the expectations now placed on her as a wife and a woman, et cetera. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it, I, I kind of like the idea of doing a black and white story that has a color in the title and that, the, you know, the, the knife in the story is never seen as red, it's always seen as black. But it's also kind of cool to do a creepy style comic because I'd read those stories um, a lot as a kid, um, but I hadn't necessarily found them scary. Um, and I kind of wanted to see if I could do a story that was actually scary <laughs> and not just like, because they're very like jokey, they have, you know, there's like a, a mascot who like, does puns in the beginning of them and stuff, so <laughs> that was kind of interesting to try and make a serious story with like a guy making these wacky Brandon-esque puns <laughs> at the beginning and end. Um, yeah, so that's an example of that one. Oh, and, and the, she loses. Um, <laughs> this is a, another webcomic um, called Margot's Room that I did um, in, I think, 2011. Uh, it was also another Halloween one. Um, it's my only webcomic that ran with updates. It updated five times. And actually, uh, um, above this image on the actual website, uh, there's a poem, and the poem used to, um, it, it, the poem, uh, every week a new line would show up on the poem, and then that line would have a clue that would relate to an item in this room, and then you would have to click on the item to find the new story. 
Um, that was also kind of informed by like me liking games and thinking about how interactivity changes the way somebody reads something and the effect they're having on it. You know, in addition to having, you know, feeling kind of pleased with yourself for solving a small pu puzzle like that, I, I want to put the reader kind of in the position of having to touch things in a stranger's room, um, which this is like to kind of intrude on a scene where maybe you shouldn't be, but if you want to find out what happened here, um, you have to click these things. Um, with a lot of my comics, I, I do sometimes get people telling me that they, they don't understand the navigation or they think that it should be changed <laughs> to be clearer. And maybe they're right, but I think it's kind of fun for me. So I don't know. Some people like it. <laughs> oh, this is, um, this is a page from the, uh, it's actually kind of like a deleted scene from, there's a menstru menstruation mention in it. <laughs> <laughs> you guys just do this because it's the bad. <laughs> I'm ignoring Brandon from going forward. Um, anyway, so this is just a page from the book I'm working on right now, uh, which is a book of short stories. Um, this is sort of the villain in one of the stories being kind of creepy to the hero. Uh, this is from uh, my most recent webcomic, uh, which was another um, adaptation. I was kind of in a, a place recently where I'd, I I felt kind of stymied and uncreative and I have so many projects going on that are sort of long-term that it's sometimes um, hard to feel spontaneous and, and creative so I kind of had a uh, working vacation um, my friend Annie calls it where you um, you kind of take a bit of a break and you work and make something new so it was another two-week comic that I made specifically just to do something that I liked without worrying about people reading it or like how it would sell or if I was disappointing anyone or whatever um, so it's another adaptation of another Grimm's fairy tale my favorite one um, which is about a, a man who's buried alive in his wife's tomb, and then it kind of meanders in that fairy tale way that would make no sense if I explained it all. Um, but one of the things I did uh, in this comic that was a bit different, just talking about, um, it actually has multiple endings, it has two endings, depending on which character you click in on, on the, at the end of the scroll. It'll take you to two endings that are slightly different depending on the character's point of view. Um, and another thing I did was that I, I made uh, mouse overs for it. Because a lot of my web comics, I, I feel like they wouldn't really work in print because I've specifically designed them for the web to make use of different things. So anyway, this is an example of a panel where um, uh, if you moused over it, you would get this effect where you'd see this uh, bit of design work here. And actually design work has like, it has this boat at the top that's sprung full of holes and it has an outstretched hand which are actual, actually like nods towards the second half of the story where somebody is set adrift in a boat full of holes. Um, so there's a few, few of those things throughout the story that uh, I just played around with. And the last thing is just, um, this is part of something I'm kind of working on up and on now, speaking of games and comics meeting. Um, I, uh, I'm using this um, game engine called Twine, uh, which is used for interactive fiction. You can kind of see at the bottom the red letters are hypertext uh, links um, to lead to next parts of the story so that you can choose kind of options where your character wants to go. And this, and, but I want to incorporate um, comics into it too. And actually some of these images are uh, GIFs, so they're animated. Uh, her like cracking her neck in that center piece there is animated the bottom thing where it's just her little head <laughs> kind of leads to a, a thought balloon. Uh, and this one's about a, um, uh, I guess, a, a triad of uh, lady lizards um, who all forget, one, one, they each forget another one's birthday and have to go and find a birthday present. That's the thing with Jen, too. Like, I, uh, when you said you had to take a break and work on something different to keep 
yourself from getting too depressed. I, I kind of do that too, where I'll, I'll pace my projects so that I'm not always working on extremely heartbreaking horror things, and then I'll do like a goofy thing like this, or a kid's comic or something. Um, and so in this story, you can kind of choose at the beginning which character you want to follow, and then you can follow them through their day and make slight decisions. Uh, but ultimately, if you play through all the stories, they all inform each other and are all one great big story in the end, which is something I really like doing. Uh, I like exploring how people's characters' decisions affect other characters and stuff, and bringing it all together. Um, and I think that's it for what I have. Yes. Thanks, Emily. But we're not done. Um, kind of throwing that up for, for Brandon to make him happy. That's Dr. Dre. Thank you, Robin. You're welcome. You're, you can get a little closer to the mic there, Brandon. Thank you, Robin. I don't know if it's... Is it on? I, I think... I think they, okay, it's on. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking they just cut it off. I, I wouldn't it's blame probably them. for the best. Um, looking at your work, everyone, very talented, capable artists, um, what is it about comics and creating stories that attracts you towards doing that? Because I, <laughs> because I couldn't fit it all in one painting. <laughs> um, I, I, there, there's a lot of the good things about comics. I, I always say I, I like how untapped it is as a medium. Like it's very it's fairly young medium, and there's just a lot of things, I mean, it's, if you think about the vastness of everything you can do by combining words and pictures and symbolism, there's, there's so much you can do and so many people stick to very um, limited things. Like, like, I feel like every time Emily puts up a new comic, it's, you know, you, she explores things I'd never seen before, never even thought of, just shames me. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's nice, it's under, and it's, it's hard, and I like that aspect too. There's a lot you can do within it. You can focus on architecture, you can focus on characters' expression, or just writing, or you know, motion, or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah in, in addition to shaming Brandon, another thing I like about comics is just, um, I really like to write, and I, like, I actually like the process of drawing, so it's just, for me, it's like a, it's just a good blending of the two, like, that sounds so simple, but like, that's literally what I like, is I really like, it's just fun and kind of it's like a problem-solving type venture for me um, to play around and find how to express things or how to do things differently than just writing or just drawing. So. I have a real answer, too. Um, yeah, creative problem-solving, definitely, that's the thing that I would uh, agree with, but also, um, it's all, you know, unless you're working with a writer, it's all your own as well, and you are what, the director, the writer, the artist, and you can take it anywhere you want to go, and you can also leave the project, too, um, if it's not going where you want to, or you can start all over, um, even though your friends and family beg you to finish and just print it, damn it, so. <laughs> it's a good way to withhold, you're saying. <laughs> Do you feel like, um, I was kind of thinking about the Spiegelman show and going through it, one of the big things about it is how he's connecting himself to other cartoonists and other traditions in comics. And do you feel with the work you're making yourself that you're connecting to kind of cartoonists that have come before? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it for me is I always, I always call a lot of what I do a fan art because it's, it's reacting to things that got me really excited when I was, when I was younger and I'm trying to do stuff that's that exciting. How does that affect your, uh, your upcoming project, mm -hmm. Walrus? 
Walrus? Oh, Walrus, yeah, the, the art book I'm doing. I specifically tried to key that into it being a kind of a fan art book. And so it's, it's literally me drawing fan art of things I like, and it's just lots of, like, you know, Neuromancer or Dirty Pair or whatever stuff I grew up on, which is, you know, the things I'm into now are embarrassingly the same things I was into when I was 14. <laughs> yes, I agree. Uh, <laughs> I used to buy, um, from those little, uh, like, quarter slot machines, I would buy the unicorn stickers of barbarian women, like, writing them, had the hologram on them, and that's still shockingly the same thing I like now. Um, and I, But, I, I, you know, you want to make things, like, different and fun and take it to a new height and never give your comics possibly to someone you admire because then they'll just throw it in the trash can around the corner because they're just they're, they're being they're being given too much stuff but um they, i think there's a tradition of um like reading something and taking like in um putting it inside of yourself and then filtering it back out to make it your own um in addition to just straight up like taking an awesome page composition and just like doing an homage to it as well Right, but also something about comics, which is interesting, there's so many people that didn't come from, like Emily didn't come so much from a background of comics, but kind of drawing and storytelling, and it's nice because it's not so inclusive where you have to know the specific rules. Yeah, I mean, my, my wife does comics too, and, and I, she, she shames me a fair amount by doing, being such good stuff, and she never really read, like I, when I met her, I, I, I saw all these European artists and, that I assumed that she was influenced by, and she just had never heard of them before. Yeah, um, just something that I meant to mention in my thing, but that reminded me. Um, w since I, I didn't come, I didn't really start making comics, um, and didn't come from a tradition of, of print comics or thinking in that kind of comics mentality, one of the things that happened when I started putting my web comics online was, especially with a, a, his face all red, um, people started saying like, oh, like you made excellent use of the infinite canvas or something like that, or she really uses scrolling to great effect, like that was like a purposeful choice I made. But it, it just seemed so, since I wasn't in the mindset of, of using pages, um, I just didn't, it didn't even occur to me that I would have to <laughs> use pages in a comic, especially if I'm just putting it online. So I think it, there's something really uh, to be said for kind of coming from comics uh, at an angle or from a different way that you, you know, it just doesn't occur to you that you might be doing something wrong. And then so you can sort of succeed or fail on your own discoveries and attempts and explorations. With your, um, how do I phrase this right? How do comics kind of take from your own personal life? Uh, is it a catharsis in a way of kind of getting a lot of ideas out? Brandon? Uh, you yeah. mean just in the sense of it being kind of like art therapy like we were all talking about? The, you, you're the only one that said art therapy. <laughs> no, that's what we were all talking about, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, but you know, it, that's, I don't know, it's, it's difficult too because I mean, I imagine all of us, all of our lives are so wrapped up in it now that it's, you know, it's, it's becomes a chicken and an egg thing. Well, I mean, we're not doing daily comics like James Colchago with American Elf being like, boy, I hope today's interesting or else I'm going to talk about that tissue. Like, like yeah. I mean, you don't have a new hobby every week because you want to make a comic out of it. No, but, but I, I'm just trying to be contrary. Yeah, no, I, I do like that, that having to be creative for a living forces you to uh, have to continuously be learning, and you have to research things a lot, and you have to be reading new things, and, and, um, and, and whatever aspect of your life that you're excited about, hopefully you kind of put into the work. Now, one of the things we talked about before doing the panel um, was maybe looking at some cartoonists um, that excite us and kind of talking about that. So I put together 
about a dozen or so folks. So we're going to kind of go through them and look at the work and uh, talk about those folks. So first we have, who do we got there? Maurice Sendak, um, who recently passed away. And I think you can see on, in the Spiegelman show, there's a collaboration that Art did with Maurice. It's kind of a conversational interview. That was a nice one. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I actually really like that comic, and I've read it before. Somebody posted it online, I think, around the time that he passed away. Um, and I really like it because a lot of what I do is influenced by children's books, um, and I did read his books when I was a little kid. Um, and it, just his attitude of, you know, he's not making books strictly for children, and you know, and that children, you know, aren't these you know, <laughs> super innocent people that need to be guarded. Because a lot of things that influence me now are, I was saying this to someone recently, that a lot of my most um, the things that influenced me the most are things that I had nightmares about as a child, and it's all kind of coming out now in my work, but particularly books. And um, there's a few books, like um, there's an illustrated version of uh, the Highwayman poem that Charles Keeping illustrated, which is, if you ever see it, you'll know it because it's the scariest version of the Highwayman, which is already a horrible story. Um, but it gave me nightmares. And, and same with um, the, if anyone read the scary stories to Read in the Dark or series, yeah. Um, they're <laughs> haunting. If you mention them to anybody now, they know exactly what you're talking about and they remember uh, Harold or any of those horrible stories. Um, so I really, that's what really connects me to his work and his attitude. It's something that I really feel kind of strongly about and that um, with a lot of my stories, I think they could be for children, um, just if you're willing to <laughs> scare your kids, I guess, which uh, I was, my parents apparently were, so. Uh, yeah, that's why I really, really like that comic of his. Uh, I thought it really rang true for me. It's great seeing his later life interviews, how, how saucy of an old man he, he became <laughs> and how it makes his work seem incredibly uncompromising. Craig Thompson. Um, He's a very nice man. Very nice man. <laughs> uh, his works include Blankets, Habibi, uh, Goodbye Chunky Rice, and uh, he has a whole bunch of stuff coming out. He's working on a, a bizarre kind of kids story right now about people that like farm poop in space. It looks it looks amazing. Um, yeah, he's 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 really interesting too because he he seems to have carved this really specific niche for himself. It's it's kind of you know like Spiegelman. It's very kind of literary comics, but but it feels very personal in his own. And so nice. Excellent black and white composition. No, I, I think, uh, yeah, you can, comparing him to Art Spiegelman, you can't go over to someone's house and they don't have like blankets on the shelf and maybe next to Mouse or Persepolis um, by Satrapi. It's like those are the, the books that have kind of, you know, they were in the book market because um, they're, I don't know, they, they, they crossed over. You know, it's like they were speaking a language that everyone was like already, um, they, they kind of knew what to do and how to read it and it connected with them. Right. Eleanor Davis. Oh, she's um, very good. Yeah. I love Eleanor Davis. That's pretty much what I have to say. I don't know. I think a lot of the themes and stuff that she draws and writes about are things that really resonate with me or come through in my work. Um, that I don't know. She has a lot of monsters and monster women and <laughs> beast women and fears about motherhood and things like this, which I think are absolutely beautiful. And I, I love her personal work. You can really see her in it. She's also married to another cartoonist, Drew Wang. 
God, I hope it doesn't hear that because I did not say it right. But <laughs> I think it's great because then their neuroses can kind of build up together. Um, but but their artwork is, you know, it doesn't suffer from it at all. Uh, right. If anything, it probably adds to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, Belgian cartoonist Brecht Evans. Can I... Can I start this one? I, uh, yeah. His first, uh, I guess his first English book was a, a really small saddle staple book called uh, Night Animals. It's a gorgeous two-story book. Just, um, I mean, this is, uh, I believe this is watercolor or gouache, but um, um, Night Animals is just inundated. Like, there is no white on the page hardly. It is just soaking with color. And I was an intern at Top Shelf Comics, and it was one of my assignments um, to put the book together, and I got to choose like the paper, the textured paper, um, and of course one of the stories is about menstruation. So I just got really excited. Um, <laughs> but yeah, his his use of color and just the um, is this from this is from the making of Brecht Evans, right? I think so. It could be from. Um, it's the cover for one of his books. Or, or yeah, it's yeah from D and Q. Yeah, um, I guess I haven't read. <laughs> but it's yeah, his work is gorgeous, and yeah, I think he he just does whatever he wants, and it. And he's got such a, a forceful personality that it translates perfectly. He kisses people a lot, doesn't he? He, yes. does, he, he kissed you too, huh? I, I think I avoided it, but I, he kissed people around me. Yeah, he, he, likes, Human he likes to get uh, in trouble. <laughs> yeah, but he has, that, he has that nice thing kind of that, that Emily's work has where it feels like he never learned the rules, so he's doing all these things outside of it that work in, in really new and exciting ways at, that, uh, that I would have never thought of of within my little comic book boxes. You'll notice nothing is outlined on that. That's a big thing in his art, is just having the colors be the characters themselves. He does a what, great thing in that story. Except the night animals. Oh, yes. That's his early stuff. <laughs> he does a great thing in that story where, where he sh starts with a party with all of these characters sitting around and talking about a guy who they all know who's an amazing person and they can't wait till he shows up. So it builds him up as such this character. And then when he shows up, he doesn't really do much, but it's just kind of, you're almost as a reader excited that he's at the party. You're like, oh, he's here, awesome. <laughs> I think he's about 25 or 26, maybe 26 now. He's young and just top of his game. He's doing really amazing stuff. This one. Uh, <laughs> nice. Um, so <laughs> Brandon and I often like to get together and talk about the latest um, updates in uh, E.K. Weaver's uh, comic, uh, TJ Animal, um, which is a web comic. Uh, it's a, I guess, a almost like a buddy comedy, but it's also a romantic comedy. It's a gay a road, road trip, yeah. kind of romancy. Um, it's, it's, it's incredibly well, well her, her stuff is so fantastic. Yeah, I feel like describing it, I would be doing a disservice to it, uh, it just because it's to read it is to be charmed by it. Uh, her drawings are really strong, and her writing is super strong. Um, and just the characters are not the kind of staple, obvious characters you would think of in any romance. I don't think. Um, and also she treats the romance in a very um, kind of realistic way. Uh, it unfolds very naturally and the characters are reacting to it very naturally. Um, and I just, like, I, I, I read webcomics but I usually sort of catch up on them. Like when, if they're updating webcomics, I catch up on them like after a few months, I'll go back and check. But uh, TJ Animal, I check every Tuesday, I guess. Yeah, and when you'll, you'll write me and let me know that a new one is out, <laughs> it feels like a defeat if you've seen it before me, because yeah. and it's, it's so impressive to read something that's coming out and just like, you only see three new pages and, and it goes directions that, that I would have never guessed in a lot of ways, and, and, mm -hmm. and it stays emotionally true and it really is cool. There's a lot of things in, in writing, I feel like, where people get used to the movie version or kind of the cliche uh, kind of fiction version of things, and 
and, and veer away from things that feel like actual life. And she seems to never do that, which is very impressive. Mm -hmm. Lost Bros Hernandez, <laughs> Beto and Jaime. Nice. <laughs> I probably mispronounced his name. Beto, oh, you got it. Jaime? Jaime. Um, Gilbert and Jaime Hernandez. Um, sorry, this is, they are printed by the company I work for, caveats abound. Um, but they've made comics for 30 years and it's insane how they can put pen to paper. Um, it's uh, called Love and Rockets, and it's a series of comics, and they each have their own separate world building, uh, or worlds, which is what Brandon was kind of talking about earlier when he was talking about how you can see like the books on a shelf. Like Brandon's the, one of the kings of world building, so he makes no. it. What? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Gilbert and Jaime with their, um, uh, Palomar and Locus books are fantastic, um, but there's so many years of comics that it's kind of daunting to read. So sometimes you just look at them and go, oh God, it's so pretty. <laughs> but it's so accessible. I always wonder about their work because they started out very, it felt like they were doing almost fan work. It felt like they liked heavy metal magazine and superheroes. There was science fiction in it at the yeah. beginning, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, it was very Love and Rockets where it was like pretty pretty girls and and monsters and, and dinosaurs and, uh, and, and robots and whatnot. fixing cars and rockets. Yes, yeah. exactly. And then and then they got this attention from fanographics and kind of were put into the literary scene. And they really kind of stepped up in an impressive way where their work got more. I mean, Beto still does a lot of incredibly ridiculous stuff off the rail, but I, it's, that's impressive too because it seems like he refuses to not have fun. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but, and it's so amazing they both came out of the same womb, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and Mario, their other brother. Yes. yes, we're all big Mario fans. Uh, Kate Beaton, <laughs> very, very popular web cartoonist. Yeah, she's, she's interesting because I don't think her career would have happened at all in the same way pre-internet. It's like, it's like the audience was there, but the kind of people who publish a lot of comics I don't think would have seen how appealing her work is and how universal it is without her just putting it herself. Yeah, I remember when it was on Live Journal, and I would like check it every day at my desk job and be like, what? Um, and then her first, one of her first few conventions was in Maryland and she had a really long line and the people that organized the convention were like, who is this? <laughs> she prints web comics? Um, and she just had like one saddle staple comic and she like ran out and then so now there's like the beaten aspect. So every convention has to figure out where she goes as a, as a guest so that her line doesn't cover people but very funny historical comics. Um, she, she even takes calls from the audience to ask, like, who do you want me to write about? And they'll be like, Napoleon, fat Napoleon, again. And um, she, will, she will do it. Oh, yeah, it's, he's always stuffing his face full of cookies and crying because his wife is cheating on him in their comics. So. Um, oh, and then she has those, uh, she, oh, those Go ahead. rascals. Um, <laughs> that she does a group. I can't remember what their name is, but they're like... The um, obnoxious teenage boys, those ones. Yeah, but it's like Scooby-Doo, except they're shitbags, and they never finish what they start. They just kind of <laughs> act like real teenagers would be, <laughs> yeah. where they're just constantly lying, and <laughs> yeah, those are good. Funny to read, but not to be related to. <laughs> and she's, she's another person where it's really been interesting to see, interesting, it's fun, to see uh, how much kind of like, she's experimenting and getting better with things and like her inking looks so good right now and it's just really cool to see her somebody like having fun with this thing that they're doing that is also extremely intelligent and extremely successful oh and if anyone watches adventure time here one yeah yeah, yeah. 
her her uh, her fat pony was that pony that was staring at Finn and Jake all episode long. <laughs> nice, uh, Edie Fake. Should I talk? I feel bad that I'm always just saying like I love them. Yeah, very good. Edie's really uh, for me uh, one of my favorite cartoonists right now. He's doing these really amazing books, kind of exploring gender and sexuality. Uh, he's trans and kind of reflecting on that. And uh, what's the, Gaylord Phoenix is the name of the book, and it's amazing. Um, and there's really very few people that are taking their work to the level that he's bringing it to. Um, and I'm, I'm excited that yeah. there's Edie Fake making comics. Oh, I was just gonna say that um, when I read Gaylord, or when I was, when you lent me Gaylord Phoenix, um, it was one of those things where, since I don't have a huge um, base of comics knowledge, I sort of felt like, oh, this is going to be like too smart for me. I'm not going to understand it, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to get it. What am I going to say to Robin? Um, and uh, but then uh, my wife read it, and she was like, oh, it's really good. You should read it. And I read it, and it was completely fantastic and um, really accessible, and it was funny in parts and really, really sexy in parts in a way that I hadn't expected. Um, and I also just love his art in general. Um, I know he does tattoos, I think. He does tattoos, and his yeah. latest thing, he's doing a series of uh, weird, almost pixelated-looking paintings of iconic gay bars. The doorways, The yes. doorways of the bars, yeah, yeah, they're amazing. And that's the thing with a lot of his art, not even just his comics, but like those doorways and a few things that he has up online. I don't know how to, I'm gonna sound weird trying to describe this, but the feeling I get from looking at them is like intensely satisfying. Like it's just, um, I could just stare at those doorways he draws, <laughs> or in paints rather, um, and it's just like, I don't know, it feels, yeah, satis there's a satisfaction in them. Nice. Something, something else I like about comics is it's, um, they, they give you away a little bit. So it's always interesting to see people from very different backgrounds um, there's a manga artist that recently came out as being transgender. I'm, I'm spacing on their name. Inio Asano. Right, and, and, and she did in the middle of kind of after, after becoming incredibly popular. And, uh, and, and so it's interesting to kind of go back and look through someone's secrets and, and, and kind of and how people, and it's interesting to kind of read people's comics and try to guess what, I just read a comic recently where I was really, it was, what was it called? Not My Bag, an image book. Um, and I, I think I was I was like 50 pages into it, and for it was autobiographical, and for until I realized the 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 author was gay, and that his, and I was really surprised because his portrayal of the guys in it were so like uh, Carla B. McNeil, whose whose work I like a lot. She's so into like she seems like a mom into like hunky romance novel dudes, and it's 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 so endearing. It's just like dude got hairy chested guys like losing their shirts all the time. And you're just like oh yeah. mom. It's called Finder. Yeah. is the name of it. Yeah, it's, but it's also like a. Really science good. fiction, yeah, yeah. world building. Yeah, so sometimes it's weird to, to see the absence of that where someone's like, this is someone I'm attracted to, and they draw that, and you're just like, that doesn't look like someone you're attracted to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe, but a lot of it is just, I have a very, you know, I, I, I'm coming from a very, uh, you know, Betty and Veronica heteronormative background, and so I'm just like, oh, I don't know what, you know, so all society backs all of my... <laughs> <laughs> Um, Gabby Schultz, uh, his book Monster, all about his uh, oh, that's a good one. identifying of having herpes, but does he or doesn't he? Um, I'm a huge fan of his stuff. He's uh, 
very filled with hate and anger and delightful <laughs> to read. It works so well. He's he, he's so good at using kind of pictures to convey feelings in his stuff. There's there's a great scene in his comic where he's 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 got herpes and he's decided he's just not going to have sex with anyone anymore. And he's sitting in the park and just like, this will be fine. You know, I'll just go through my life. And as these pretty women walk by him, he slowly turns into a wolf and just starts howling at them. Like, a... But it, the way it's done is, is so good. And, and he'll be talking to a, to a pretty girl he likes and he'll turn into, he'll turn into like a herpes uh, sore. sore, like his entire body as he's talking to her. And uh, it's, it's, really, it's really well done. Gabby. It's, actually, it's a very good book to give to anyone who has a communicative disease. I mean, I know it sounds weird, know it sounds weird but if you, you know, you have or a friend. Or anyone you suspect that has one. <laughs> yeah. Just you, leave it in your bathroom. Usually confirmed, yeah, on the toilet seat. Um, no, it's because uh, it's, it's, I mean, he also goes into the, you know, some of the um, stuff, what to do, what not to do, in addition to his, you know, the emotions that take a hold of you when there's, when you suddenly, like he felt, yeah, he kind of felt like a, Oh, never mind. I can't remember her name from X-Men. Oh, Rogue. Like, he couldn't touch anyone. Oh, yeah. Sorry, not to bring up, you know, the big two. <laughs> DC and Marvel. Is that pooping? Uh, Junji Ito. <laughs> Go ahead, oh. Jeff. <laughs> I also love Junji Ito. Um, he's uh, one of my, um, pretty much my biggest influences in horror comics, specifically. Um, his stories are often terrifying, like actually unsettling, having nightmares in the night terrifying. Not all of them are though, and that's kind of what I like about it. He has a lot of stories that, you know, some are scarier than others, but he also has some that are very sentimental, but involve horror elements, uh, which I think is something I really like to do, um, you know, exploring strong emotions other than just fear or fright. And also his artwork is amazing and really 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 scary and he does so much work and there's a there's a sincerity to his horror that I, I really try to um, mimic in mind because I don't usually make I don't ever really make uh, jokes in my horror to try to keep the atmosphere going in the same way he really commits to an idea however bizarre and he's had some really weird comics um, but that, he just that really like, adds to how creepy some of the things yeah it's completely. like oh he's really gonna keep going this way <laughs> yeah and you know, if it doesn't work, then there's like a million other stories that's he, that he's written that you can uh, check out. Um, he's um, the one he's best known for, or at least to me, is called Uzumaki, and it's about a town that's obsessed with spirals, and people keep actually dying because. Um, and I mean, this is a great panel, but this is <laughs> that he uses uh, math and like um, like fierce geometry that like something uh, Western culture is like something like you know like we're kind of all afraid of math. We don't like taxes. We don't like. <laughs> You know that sort of stuff, and it and it it's like drenched in this comic, so that you become like suddenly you are aware of like, yeah, like someone gets obsessed with like the worlds on their like on the thumb of their finger, and they're like freaking out, and then like you know people become spirals, whether they're getting like twisted around a tire. Sorry, anyway, yeah, and as uh, Emily said, it is le there are legitimately pages where I would look at it and I was like I like had to turn the page, and then I like kept reading, and I was like, nope, like, that's it for tonight. And then I would, like, look at the book the next day and just be like, it, like, had its, an aura about it that was just <laughs> going to affect me. So I had to finish it, but loving all of it, um, he's definitely someone to look, look out yeah, for. It's so impressive sure. to, it seems like horror illustrated in comics is got to be one of the hardest things to do because you actually have to really get in there. 
Yeah, well, the easy, the easy ones that are great, um, they sometimes they are kind of like, let's explain it all on the last panel, or there's a twist. And yeah. so you're, and if you're in that mindset, you're like, what is the twist before you get to it? Yeah, totally. And with this, it's just like, what new horror am I yeah. going to read next? Like, <laughs> and he's really good at that thing that I was talking about earlier about making the reader into an active reader because he'll show you something horrible and then and then be like, and eh, that's all you get. And so you stay up all night being like, you horrible man, why have you done this to me? <laughs> I think I'm going to bring us to questions, if anyone in the audience has questions. I realize we're probably way over our time, so. Allison has the mic. Does anyone have any questions? Uh, other than when you're doing children's work, do you ever start going off on some idea and restrict yourself? I mean, this seems like it's a very liberating medium. You can just about do anything you want. But there, are you ever self-censoring when, you, when you're writing in any way? I think there's something, something that I think about in my work is, is how you kind of have to establish different rules for storylines just like uh, to, try to, to try to keep the boundaries. So it's, it's not really a censoring, self-censoring thing as much as it's um, kind of knowing how things work and trying to stick to it. Although the, one of the comic I write for a living, they don't, they don't allow nudity or swearing initially, they told us, but we've just kind of been pushing that more and more. <laughs> and there's somebody who has sex with a giant chicken in the first issue, yeah. we just don't. <laughs> but it's weird, because you can, you, can you can make it really clear that happened, but if you don't show it, then they didn't stop us. Yeah. <laughs> the comics code was a big thing during the, the Wortham trials, and like, people would get in trouble not for having like the ghost of an uncle who raped you in the scene, but the flies around him. So like, there's a, it's a weird, I mean, but we're not like, selling to, well, you are, you're selling to big audiences, but I think it definitely depends on the book and sometimes the character, like maybe there's one character who is just um, a little bit of a, like goes a little bit too far and you use them, that you like keep them reserved for certain situations. Um, but yeah, I guess, I don't know if we necessarily think about like, I really hope a 13 to 14 year old doesn't read this, but a 15 year old's fine. Like if, they're, if it's on the internet, they'll find it. If it's in a bookstore, they might. If it's at a library, it will have something on the spine that will let them know if they can check I, it out. I had somebody at the last convention I was at where was, um, this little 13-year-old girl came up to my table and holding a book that she shouldn't have. <laughs> and, uh, and I kind of I looked at her mother, and her mother was like, oh, don't you worry, I took care of it. And they, she'd gone through with a Sharpie and blacked out all <laughs> the things that were, which is pretty fantastic to see. I was once tabling in Port, or you know, at a show with my books with the menstruation stuff in Portland, Maine, the other one, and I, because I don't know, I for a shtick or a gag, I actually had like free tampons out um, with like stickers on them with my information, and um, like kids kept coming up, and one was like, "What is this?" and I. So I was like, you'll, you'll find out when you're older. And like, she gave me like the go eat poop eyes. And, <laughs> but then like a mom came by and her two boys picked them up and they were like, whoa, like doing baton twirls. And then she was like, she was like, do you know what those are? And they were like eight and they were like, no. And then she like went in the whole thing. And I was like, education. Like, <laughs> They're in therapy now. <laughs> All right, any other questions? Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite comic? Oh, too many. <laughs> um, Robin. Depends on the point in time. Right What's your now, favorite comic right now? Right now? I can say the Edie Fake stuff. Growing up, I was really into Batman. 
I've You're still really into Batman. I'm still really into Batman. It's an unfortunate thing. Uh, Robert has leather-bound Batman comics. <laughs> He's really not joking. I have like... I, I borrowed one recently. Um, well, if you asked me, which you asked us, yes, I would say Aaron Rainier's uh, Spiral Bound. It's pretty good. It's um. It looks like a spiral notebook that's been defaced, um, and it's uh, all ages, so you know it's not just geared towards kids, but it's about uh, uh, the mystery of a town, and um, these characters that are all different animals um, are trying to figure out, like, what's this beast in the lake? And they all have their own, um, they have their own needs and wants and, like, uh, goals, but they, they kind of combined in the perfect way, so spiral bound. Uh, my favorites right now are probably uh, Junji Ito comics. Um, but growing up, uh, I was really big into Archie comics, um, which I just started reading again for the first time since I was a kid, and don't hold up. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> uh, me and Emily are doing a fun thing this week where we just took this ridiculously horrible Archie comic and we're both trying to redraw it and make it something interesting. It's just about Betty and Veronica finding, finding male versions of themselves that yeah, try to date them. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> weird. Yeah. <laughs> And then at the end, the Betty and Veronica run away in terror, and the guys are like, what's the matter? We don't have anything in common? Yeah. So, yeah. That's the gag. Have you, sorry, have you gotten that, like, the, the first 50 years book? It's, like, this square of Archie, and it shows you, like, the first time Betty arrives. And, like, Archie's, like, first of all, he's wearing knickerbocker pants, like, with, like, socks going up. And then he's, like, walking on a, a fence, and she's just like, oh, hey, you're really cute. Yeah. And then Betty is, like, uh... She's like a society lady. The first time you see her, she's in like this diaphanous gown reading Archie's fan letter. She's like, oh, this hayseed seems amusing. Like, let's, <laughs> let's move from Manhattan to Riverdale. And you're like, what is this? Like, but then I guess, you know, like, maybe uh, radio shows were interesting back then. So, I mean, they are now. Like, ink <laughs> studs. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah definitely Archie. That. Archie is a, a big thing. So. Yeah. Oh, I've been really into this... Uh, I like a lot of said the French the French guy Mobius is a big deal to me who did like the designs in Tron and a bunch of his own comics, and there's this this Japanese comic I'm obsessed with called Appleseed, which is about cyborg cops. But it's it's it, storytelling is really amazing, and it's this I always think of it as this covert comic because he does all these amazing storytelling tricks within it, but people who would normally read Spiegelman's work or Craig Thompson or something probably wouldn't find it because it's about future cyborg cops. <laughs> Uh, one more, I would say, yeah, the, the comics made by your friends, because you can really like smell the sweat in them, and you get to see them at like different points in the process, and it's kind of nice, you know, to, to see it done and finished. And yeah, and multiple warheads. Oh, yeah. Brandon's comic. Uh, it feels like such a given that I shouldn't even have oh, to say. Oh, I see. It, but I will. <laughs> yeah, there's something amazing about being able to see someone's work while they're while they're drawing it, and then go back and read it later, and get kind of two different experiences out of the same out of the same thing. And I think a lot about how you know, you're, how you're introduced to a piece of work can really change how you feel about it, and, and also how like if, if somebody had like a jerky roommate that loved my work, then they would probably just hate it. <laughs> um, and just to let you guys know, uh, Brandon and Jen brought books and comics to sell and get signed, so if folks are interested in checking out their work, they'll be doing that after. Um, and I think maybe we have time for one more question. All right. So since we're at a Spiegelman show, um, I'm just wondering if maybe you just can talk quickly or briefly about the politics between cartooning, comics, and graphic novels, thinking that 
Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, thinking that like today, Spiegelman is required freshman reading um, at SFU. It was when I was at Dartmouth. It's all over the place in, in writing programs. How does the graphic novel become something that teaches writing? And what's the difference between what Spiegelman's doing and what you see yourselves as doing? They're all comics. Graphic novel is just a selling term. But it's, it's nice, that idea, sometimes. It's nice yeah. when people aim for higher, <laughs> higher goals. Higher page counts. There are people yes. that call themselves graphic novelists, and I do not like it. Uh, um, no, nobody likes it. You're a cartoonist. But I mean, the, there's that being there. I, I was going to say this about the censorship thing earlier. It's just sometimes I do things because, because they're horrible, and I think it's funny, and I can get away with them. But in the same way, it's like sometimes I do things because it will uh, lower the level of the art form and uh, perception of the work and it'll make it like I'll be like this, this comic has werewolves in it just so it seems more ridiculous and less arty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> thank you guys and thanks everyone for coming out in this rainy day. Yes, thank you.